let's welcome Charles. Oh, I'm glad you made it. It's kind of a lot going on around here and around the world. It's pretty heavy, all these hurricanes and earthquakes and all these things that are hitting us uh, around the world as well as personally. It can kind of get us down. It can kind of make us anxious. But God is good still. God can help. God is our friend. And that's what I want to talk about today. That is the good news. That's what I want to talk about. That, that it's not that God is angry and punishing us. It's not that God is up there, distant. He is our friend. That's what I want to talk about today. Sounds good? All right, so we're going to look at today the best known teaching Jesus ever gave. It's been called the gospel in a story. It is the most well-known story period in the world. So I'm excited about looking at this. It's a great story. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. Let's take a look. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So here is a a young punk, excuse my language, who comes up to a father who is still alive and says to him, I want my inheritance. When do you get your inheritance? When you, after, after your parents die, right? So he's in effect saying, you know, I, I can't wait for you to kick the bucket anymore. <laughs> Just would you die already? Give me my inheritance now, right? And surprisingly, the father just gives him the money. I wouldn't. I would beat him up, you know? <laughs> well, I can't really because I got a back problem, but, you know, you know what I mean. All right, so what happens? Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, what else is going to happen, right? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, in Jewish culture, pig is a very bad thing. You know about that, right? Kosher, halal. You can't touch them. You can't eat them. Now this guy is living with pigs. Bad idea, right? So he's an auto failure. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's higher servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. If you're feeling very guilty, so he wants to go back and become a servant, right? Got a plan, you know, better than starving. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The guy is smelling like pigs. It doesn't matter. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's starting in on his speech, his plan, but he gets cut off. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. The guy gets a royal treatment. Wow. Very surprising. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back and safe and sound. The older brother got angry and refused to go in. So his brother went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Great story, isn't it? What a story. Incredible story. There's so much to talk about. So I suspect it might become a multi-part sermon. But I want to focus on one question today. How does the older son feel about his father? Keep that question in in your head. How does he feel about his father? Not good, right? Now the father stands for God in this story. As with all the other stories of Jesus. When a father throws feasts around, have sons, you know, he's God. Right? And this is what the older son says to him. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Been a model, model son. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. My life sucks. You know, I don't get anything. I just work and work and work and do all these things for you. I, I never disobey. I'm such an auto person and my life isn't that great. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, this degenerate, younger brother, this piece of scum who has done all these horrible things, you treat him like royalty. What is up with that? What is up with that? He has a point, don't you think? How many of you relate to the older brother? How many of you feel like, my God, of course. How many of you have younger siblings who, uh, you know, have not really lived up to the standards and you get frustrated, right? So, The older son feels that the father should have punished the younger brother, should have been harsh with him, at least give him a lecture or something. Otherwise, why behave? Why why be a good person? What's in it for you? The older son, he's been such a dutiful person. He's such a good Christian, right? I mean, if there's a box called good Christian, 
right? If we can show a box. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. So imagine if there's a box called Good Christian. I mean, he is in the dead center, right? I mean, he has done everything that you're supposed to do. But the younger son is so far outside the box, he's not even in the picture, right? He's like off the screen. He's so far off. So, intuitively, I mean, if there's any justice in this world, if God is just, don't you think it's the older son who should get a feast? Get a pat in the back? Well done. You're my good son. Your brother, you know, he's just taken off. Don't know where he is. Broken my heart. But you, you, my older son, you are the one that carries my legacy. You are the one who speaks for me. You are the one who reflects who I am. I'm proud of you. Let's celebrate. Right? You think that's what should be happening, don't you think? That's not what happens. <laughs> God gives the younger son a feast, and it's the older son who is outside the father's feast, which represents heaven in all the other stories of Jesus. The father gives a feast, it's heaven. It's, and, and so. So it's the older son that finds himself outside heaven. It's his own choice. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He's the one not going in. Nevertheless, it's the degenerate younger son who is in. And it's the God-fearing, obedient, Bible-following, model Christian older son who is found outside God's feast. Wow, right? I mean, that's, that takes you back. That should, that should, like, make you pause. <laughs> kind of make you start thinking, what, what, what? What have I been thinking? What's going on here? No wonder Jesus was not popular. He was not popular with the God-fearing people of his day. In fact, they killed him. <laughs> right? No wonder. <laughs> because... It is God that Jesus is teaching and portraying and trying to spread. This does not connect with the God that God-fearing people throughout history have believed in. It doesn't connect. I mean, we're looking at it like, oh, this is Jesus' teachings, of course. But back then, you know, Jesus is just... A guy, a former carpenter going around talking about God. How do you think God-fearing people felt listening to this? It would have been scandalous, don't you think? It would have been like, what is he talking about? This is why Jesus was accused of being so loosey-goosey and so, you know, not strong enough on sin and moral responsibility and godliness. What a story. I love it. I don't know about you, but I love it. It's so subversive. (laughs) So different from what you would expect to find. The Bible is so wonderful and surprising. Defies your expectation. 
And that's why I find this so credible and transformative. Anyway, this story highlights the difference between the old and the new covenant. It's called the gospel in a story for a reason. There's a reason why this is the most well-known story in the world. The older son represents the old covenant, where the deal was you obey God and God rewards you. That's the old covenant. That is the point of his argument to the father. I have obeyed you. I have worked for you. I have lived for you. I have lived for your name. The younger brother has not. How come he's getting the feast and I don't get nothing? That's not fair. That's breaking the old covenant between God and his people. Where the deal was, you obey God, God rewards you. That's broken. And he's got a point. Why has he never gotten even a young goat? Why is he outside the heavenly feast? That's a great question. How does faith work in the new covenant? The faith that Jesus preached. How does faith work in that context as opposed to how it worked in the old covenant? Let's get into this because it's such an important question. The key phrase here from the older son is this. All these years I've been slaving for you. So he's been working and working and working and working for God, performing for God. But he sees himself as slaving for God. How do you, how do you think that makes his father feel? Right? I mean, if your son is he's a perfect, beautiful son, but he, he, he says, I've been slaving for you all my life. How do you think that would make a father feel? Any of you fathers? If your son grew up and, and, and kind of called you, you know, I've been slaving for you all my life, how, how would that make you feel? Not good, right? I mean, what, what does that make you? A slave master? <laughs> a boss at best? I mean, as a family dynamic, that's a little messed up, yes? Profoundly messed up. Look again at the older son's speech. Not once does he call his father, father, or his brother, my brother. Instead, he says, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitute, he has disowned his own brother. It's not my brother, it's it's son of yours. He never calls his father, father. You, you, you. In contrast, the first words from the father to him are, my son. My son. And he says, this brother of yours. Pointed, isn't it? You call him this son of yours, I call him this brother of yours. <laughs> it's almost as if, as if he's saying, look, my son, you, you, you need to find yourself as a member of this family. You're not a slave. You're talking like a slave. You're talking like a servant. You're seeing yourself as a servant. Not as a member of this family. Find yourself. You are profoundly lost. And and this shifting of mentality from seeing yourself as a servant of God to being a member of the family of God, that's the fight that Jesus had to fight with the godly people of his time. It's not easy to shift that. 
All the godly people throughout history have this impulse towards the old covenant, towards becoming servant of God. You know, when you hear the phrase servant of God, even today, that evokes positive feelings. It makes you feel like, oh, that's a holy person, a faithful person, a servant of God. I am God's servant. As a pastor, I can kind of stop feeling, I'm God's servant. You know? Servant of God. I'm pleasing God. It's hard to break free from that kind of thinking, even though in the new covenant we are not to be servants of God. We're no longer saved by our works. Instead, we're called to be friends with God. Jesus said on the last night of his life, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I call you friends. It's one of the last things he said. He's saying up to this point, yes, it was about being a servant of God. It's no longer going to be the case. It's going to be friends with God. That's what's going to matter. The two things are different. Being a servant of God, being a friend of God, those are two different things, even though we think they are the same thing. We get confused. Most of us think being a a good servant of God is how you please God. That's how you become friends with God, by becoming a good servant of God. And I showed this sermon to a a friend of mine who will come up later. And uh, he said, I loved it. I read it. And and I love this idea of becoming a friend with God. And and as soon as I thought that, I thought, you know, how do you become a friend of God? And he thought, well, you, you, you read the Bible, you follow the Bible, you obey God, and you do all these things for God. That's how you become friends with God. And then he thought, wait, 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 wait. I just read this. No, that's not it. How do you become friends with God? I have no idea. I thought, that's so interesting. The two are not the same thing, right? But we think they are the same thing. We get confused when it comes to God, but two are not the same. For example, if you're a servant, how you perform is what matters. At your work, you got a boss, yes? Many of us do. And your salary and your bonus gets determined by your performance, right? I mean, it's good that you are friends with people you work with. But does that like really determine your salary and your bonus at the end of the year? That you feel touchy-feely and warm when you think of your boss? That's how you get your bonus? If you are working for someone, if you're a servant, if you're an employee, your performance is what matters. But if you are friends with someone, it's how you feel about each other that matters far more than what you are performing. Yes? Wouldn't you agree? That's the difference between the old and the new covenant. But this is not well understood. In many or most Christian settings, a godly person, a mature Christian, is someone who is obedient to God, follows the biblical requirements, lives for God. There's all these dutiful things. People think that's mature Christian, even though that describes this older son to a T. 
And Jesus is making out this older son like he's not doing well. He's not a model Christian. He's a model servant of God. He's a model faithful person in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, he's a terrible friend of God. Wonderful servant of God, terrible friend of God. Not going to work. That's not mature Christianity. That's mature old covenant person. Christianity is not just a sect of Judaism. We broke from Judaism. We broke from the old covenant. We are different faith. It's not well understood. It's as if the older son intercepted the younger son before he could get to the father. How we view the father, if we are, if we are hearing about God, the, these assumptions we have of God. You know, imagine this. If the younger son was on his way back, and before he could get to the father, the older son intercepts him. And, the, and imagine what would happen. Right? Imagine what the older son would say to the younger son. What, what, what would be said, right? There would be a lot of scolding, I think. The older son would be going like, My goodness, how can you show yourself back here? Have you no shame? After all you have done, after you broke everyone's heart and hurt people, you went off and, and, and you, you lived like a degenerate, you know, Expletive, 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 <laughs> right? And, and look at you now. You smell like pigs. So it's an abomination before God, the Bible tells us. And, and so you haven't straightened out your life at all. Your life is a complete failure. You, you, you're a disgrace. I mean, at least clean up your life a little bit. Don't you have a conscience? You you should like have some repentance. If you're going to come back here, right? Repent. You know, at least like show that you're willing to repent, clean up your life some. How can you be here? Don't you think? He'll be like, I speak for my father. I speak for everyone. How could you be doing this? How could you show, show up here? And he's got a point. There are consequences to our actions. I'm not arguing that. That would be understandable if he kind of unloaded on the younger son. Right? The problem is that the older son is so sure that the father would do the same thing. That the father would be harsh, the father would be demanding repentance, the father would be Asking for all this performance. He's so sure. And it's the older son who has represented God throughout history. Because he's the one who stayed in the father's house. He's the one who's obedient. He's the one who's living for God. So he speaks for God on earth. And he or they, the godly people throughout history, have spread this view of God or the image of God. That is an old covenant, God. And that's why the older son is so angry with the father. 
he doesn't seem angry with the older son as much as angry with the father, right? Because the, the father disappoints him in that. The father is not that old covenant God as Jesus teaches it. And he's angry. There's no scolding, there's no shaming, no guilt piled on. No admonition, no demand for repentance, not from this father. The older son feels that sin should be called out. It's only right. If you don't stand strong on sin, how would people behave? This is how many Christians feel. This is why we must be born again. We have to have completely transformed idea of who God is if we are to move in the right direction. This father resets all assumptions about God. Look at how the father reacts. As the younger son starts in on his prepared speech of his repentance. He's got a speech of repentance prepared. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But this is only the beginning of his speech, right? He had all this speech prepared about take me back as servant. of The father cuts him off. He can't even like finish the speech. He's like, I'm not interested in your speech of repentance. Just shut up. <laughs> Because, you know, he's just like, I don't even want to. He just says, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's found. So they began to celebrate. Wow. Right? <laughs> There's no scold. Do you see any sense of scolding, shaming, straighten out your life, buddy, speech? You know, fathers are supposed to do that, right? How different from the expectations of the older son? The older son has misunderstood the father. The godly people have misunderstood the father if they represent God in this way. You know, the most famous sermon in America is sinners in the hands of an angry God. Right? The older son is the dominant voice in faith. But the good news is, God is not angry. (laughs) Does this father strike you as being angry? Is he messed up? Does he strike you as this angry father? It's like the farthest thing from that, right? I mean, it's just so weird. (laughs) It strikes me that this father likes his son. He he just can't. I mean, his his heart is just so like, I just like you so much. I'm so glad you're back. You know, I just love you. I like you. God likes us. God doesn't just love us. God likes us. Don't you think? When someone does this for you, it's not this kind of, you know, I'm supposed to be loving With my kids, you know, I'm supposed to be like equally loving towards my kids, you know. So you're supposed to love. You know, sometimes, you know, when when children get born, right? Have you ever seen a just newborn baby? You have to love them. (laughs) And when you visit your friends and there's a newborn baby, you have to say, oh, how cute. supposed to say that they are not cute <laughs> and they're just born some of them look like lizards <laughs> you know <laughs> you know what I mean but you can't say that 
you're supposed to be loving, right? So you just, you, you love, yeah. We, sometimes we think God's like that, you know? How could God really love me? I'm the lizard. You know, I'm so ugly. I've done all these things. But God's supposed to be loving, right? God is love. So, you know, he's supposed to love us even though we are unlovable. So God loves us. That's how we often think. It's not true. It's not true. God likes you, not just loves you. He just, like, it's, he is this father in this story. That just undoes me. Isn't that so wonderful, this father? That's just, just incredible, wonderful. That is the good news. That is the gospel. This is the cornerstone of our faith that the godly people have rejected. But it is marvelous in our eyes to quote the Bible. This is the cornerstone of our faith. That the godly people have rejected. But it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen? Amen. Amen. So in light of this good news, what are some implications and practical suggestions? My first suggestion is, measure your faith by friendship with God, not what you do for God. See, popular conceptions, as I said, of how strong your faith is, the older son is the model Christian in our head. That's what we think, the older son. He has never disobeyed. He's dedicated his life to working for God. He is the model of godly Christian in the mode of old covenant. But he's not happy with his heavenly father. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Doesn't that reveal how he feels about his father? There's all this simmering anger underneath It's like, my life is no good. My life is so gray. How come? It's your fault, God. I mean, maybe he performs all these things for God, but how he feels about his father is not that great. Right? When I picture him, I see this grim, dutiful, joyless, unlikable person. (laughs) What do you think? Do you think he likes his father? I don't think so, right? I mean, there's just no indication he likes his father. Model son of, servant of God, terrible friend of God. If he was still in the old covenant, he would be the model. But now that we are in the new covenant, Jesus says the whole faith has shifted to becoming friends with God. This is big. If you remember anything else from this sermon, please remember this. It is all about being friends with God. And being servants of God can get in the way, actually. So God, how you feel about God, about God? When you think of God, does it bring up this like warm, lovely, oh, it just cheers you up? Like when you think of your best friend, like really best friend, who really you like, when you think of them, Doesn't it kind of cheer you up? It just cheers up your day. It brings a smile to your face. Right? Agreed? When you think of God, does the same thing happen? You just think, oh, my best friend. He's only good to me. You know, it just cheers me up. Every time I think of this friend, 
talks to this friend, hang out with this friend, just cheers me up, makes me happy. Right? Your friends make you happy, right? Otherwise, why be friends? Drop them. <laughs> right? right? I mean, family, we can't choose, but friends, we can choose. Your best friend makes you happy. Does that happen? Or, when you think of guys, there's some distance, some shame, some guilt, a sense that you're not really measuring up. You know, you're you're probably disappointing him because he's perfect. And he has all these commands and And, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm meeting all those commands. And so there's a little bit of feeling of inadequacy. If you're like me, yeah, there's some of that, right? Now, what would that do to a friendship? If you have a great friend, and when you think of this great friend, you have this sense of inadequacy. You get this sense that you are falling short. You get this sense that maybe there's some guilt associated with this friendship. Maybe you didn't do everything right. What would that do to the friendship? That's poison. Any friendship. When you think of your friend and you think, oh, I fall short. I feel ashamed. That will poison any friendship. Guarantee it. Don't you agree? So we need to watch out. We're so free with these thoughts of falling short. I mean, so many people use God in this way. We imagine God or use God as a prop, as this angry voice in our head in order to help us keep out of the pigsty. We we are afraid that without this angry voice, we might mess up. We might fall into addiction. We might do horrible things. We might not behave. And so we need like, like prop. We need to be propped up. We use God to buck up our resolve to behave and perform so that we can stay out of the pigsty in this world. But at what cost? It's useful. We don't want to get into pigsties. It's useful in this world. But at what cost? It costs us friendship with God. It poisons friendship with God. We use God on earth in order to stay off horrible. You know, we want stable. We want good life. But that will be gaining the world and losing our soul. Can I repeat that? You can gain the world and lose your soul by using God as the old covenant God, this angry voice in your head in order to stay straight in life. Because you lose your friendship with God. You become a servant of God. And that could help you perform in this world. That would. That would help you look like this older son. He's not in a pigsty. He's got a manageable existence. He's doing okay. But faith is not about staying out of the pigsty. Faith is about getting into the heaven, into this feast. 
This older son is stuck, stuck in this gray area between the pigsty and the feast. And he will never get out. Yes, you don't get into pigsty, but you will not get into heaven either. It's a good point, isn't it? I'm proud of myself. (laughs) I'm sorry, but... But God likes me nevertheless. This vain, insecure person. God still likes me. So don't use God as the angry father in your head to help you behave. Don't do that. Don't do that. It will ruin how you feel about the Father in the end. It will be that poison underneath. It will not be good. So, let's take just 30 seconds and think about all what I've talked about. Think about how you feel about the Father. How how do you feel about God? Is there traces of that angry Father? Is there traces of falling short, being ashamed? How do you feel about God as opposed to what you're doing with respect to God? Because that's not as important. How do you feel about God? Give you 30 seconds. God, help us like you because you like us. Jesus' name. So when I asked that question of myself, how do I feel feel about God, God convicted me of something. He pointed out how I just love to blame him. You know, when I turn my attention to God and, and, you know, how do I feel? God, like, pointed it out that I just love to blame God. I have to confess I do that. Whenever things don't go well, I like to blame God. Anybody here relate to that? Don't blame God ever. That's my next suggestion because... I had a close friend once, and I let blame creep into that, and it just killed it. Blame will kill any friendship. It's just not going to go. It's toxic. So we often think of God as controlling everything. So we blame God when bad things happen. Just like this older son. He blames the father for not having a good life. He doesn't celebrate. He doesn't have a, a, a good life. Now, I don't want to get into the theology of whether or how God controls everything, predestination versus free will. There's no time for that. I'm already over time. (laughs) All I want to point out is that, like when disasters hit, we opened by praying for all those people hurt by the disasters. I mean, it's just been crazy lately, right? Houston, Florida. I have dear friends in Mexico City. All these different places. And and when these disasters hit, people are tempted to think God is angry. Even prominent Christian leaders go on national media and say, God is doing this to punish us because we have sinned. Because America has gone off the path of godliness. Does that that sound like the God we just read in this story? (laughs) What are they preaching? (laughs) It's not Christian God they're preaching. It's not Jesus God. It's somebody else. That's the older son talking, not God. Is it because of sin that Houston got hit? Florida got hit? Caribbean got hit? No. The Bible tells us very clearly 
God sends the rain and the sun to both the good and the wicked. It just happens. It's not because good or bad, it happens. They do, randomly. It's like gravity. When we fall, we can't blame God for gravity. You know? It's a helpful thing, gravity. We wouldn't exist without it. So, so take your circumstances as a given and turn to God as someone who can help. That'll help your friendship with God. That's what the younger son did. He could have blamed the father for letting him go. You could, blame can work even that way, right? He could say, why did the father just give me money to let me go? Couldn't he have known that I would just do this and end up in a pigsty? Yeah. But this is faith. God is always there to help you. God is always our friend. God is always your friend. He's always there to help you. So don't push him away. It's when the younger son thought of God as someone who can help, father ran to him. Father will do that. So don't get mad at God and push God away. Always think of him as your best friend who's always there for you. This friendship with God is what we want to focus on as a church. We want to grow in friendship with God, friendship with yourself, and friendship with the world. Oftentimes, we are not very good friends to ourselves. And we want to talk about that as well. So, you know, kids are coming in. I got to wrap up. So there's so much more to talk about. We'll talk more next week and the week after. So keep coming to the river. (laughs) My next suggestion, because... We have a lot to talk about. This, is, this may be very new to you, this concept of, wait, oh, wait, 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 servant of God, friend of God, I thought they were the same thing. You know, this friendship with God, what works in friendship versus what works in... There's so much to talk about. How do we become a good friend to ourselves? How do we become a good friend to the people around us? That's the greatest commandment. And, and, and this is what makes this church precious because we are focusing on these things. There's a lot of life to be had. I just think so many of us get stuck between the pigsty and heaven. Let's get out of that. Let's get into the feast of God. There's a lot of exciting things happening around here. We're moving to the 13th floor next week. Next Sunday, this is very important, don't show up at 10.30. All right? You will find yourself outside the feast. Okay? Okay? We are going to start at 10 and 11.30. We're back to two services, 10 and 11.30. And don't come to second service, the second floor. Go to the, the 13th floor. It's a nicer place. So it's a nicer place. We're making all this room for the younger sons. We are going to try to be a church that tries to intercept the older son. So the older son is trying to get to the younger son. We're trying to hold them back. You know, hold their legs, do anything possible to stop them from spreading this false view of God. So I want to do this together. Doesn't that sound like a good thing to do? Let's fight for the glory of God, for His name. Jesus gave us a mission to spread the gospel. This is the gospel. Let's do it. Let's make it a mission and a purpose in our lives. Let's, we need a startup church mentality. We lost some people because it's just so hard to communicate this. People are so stuck on being servants of God. It just gets confusing, you know what I mean? 
And so, hey, let's do this together. Startup church mentality. Today, we have a volunteer lunch. 13th floor, we got tacos. We got a feast going. So if you're a volunteer or you want to be a volunteer, after this rousing talk, show up at the 13th floor. There will be child care. It will be fun. Okay? Sounds good? Ready to do this together? I love Jesus. Isn't he great? Incredible stories. Incredible teaching. So subversive. Let's pray for Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you are not this angry God that we imagine you to be in our, vo- in our heads. That's been useful to help us stay out of the pigsty. That's been useful to help us stay in the straight and narrow path. But Lord, that's not what you want. You want friends. You want sons and daughters. And that gets in the way. So Lord, we come today to repent. We repent. We turn around from all this wrong view of God that we've been told and we've taught ourselves from the old covenant. Help us, O oh God, to follow Jesus. Jesus, be here. Holy Spirit, come and touch us today and lift us into your heavenly feast, even today. In Jesus' name, amen.